Welcome to another edition of the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and the spoken word from across the English-speaking world. Another edition of Questions with Father on the SSPX Podcast, and back with Father Paul Robinson from Holy Cross Seminary in Australia. Good afternoon, Father. How are you? Uh, doing well, Andrew. Good Good morning from uh, from Australia on Saturday. I suppose you're you're living through Friday afternoon. I'm, I'm here at Saturday morning. Oh, I, I would love to be where you are right now, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still on a Friday. <laughs> well, uh, last, week we, uh, last week we spoke with, with uh, Father Kurtz um, down in Dickinson, and, and we spoke about the rebuilding project uh, from last year's flood that he had down there. And uh, it sounds like making great progress down at Queen of Angels Church. Um, wondering if there's any any projects or or kind of rebuilding or anything going on down at the seminary right now. Well, uh, Holy Cross Seminary is is another example of the society acquiring an old building and slowly but surely over the years improving the building and modernizing it and um, making it a, a more suitable place to to live. Um, you're probably very familiar with all the work that's been done at the campus at, at St. Mary's. Um, sure. You've got those beautiful buildings built by the Jesuits, and the, you know how old buildings are. They just um, they they need a lot of attention, and so that's the same with our building here. Uh, it was it was initially a a landholder had a a, a big piece of property here, and he built a mansion. And then later on, the Catholic Church acquired the building in the 50s, and they added on to it in order to make it an agricultural college for, okay. for young men, to teach uh, young men how to farm. And after that, um, the property, you know, after the Second Vatican Council and things fell apart, the Christian brothers fell apart, and they couldn't hold on to the property anymore. Um, then, believe it or not, a, a drug rehabilitation center bought this place. Uh, they, they have the, the funny name of who, um, we help ourselves. So, okay. so this drug rehabilitation uh, program called who bought the place, but they, they more or less trashed this place. And then we acquired it in, in 1988. And since then, really in the past uh, 30 years, we've been making uh, improvements slowly but surely on, on the building. And people who come and visit who, who know it from the past are able to remark all of the uh, additions and, and uh, improvements that have been made. So it's a work in progress. It's always a work in progress, but um, certainly we've we've made many steps forward. Very good. Yeah, I, I was recently looking at a, at a few pictures and, and the uh, it, what must be the administration building, I guess. It, you can tell it's just old and then uh, almost kind of I don't know what style it would be, but it's it's uh, almost kind of European in style. Very, it's it's a unique looking building. It is. It is. A, I think it's a stately building, and it kind of sits on a hill. So if you're if you're driving down Braidwood Road uh, from Goulburn in the direction of, of Braidwood, another town in in Australia, um, you really notice the seminary building. It's it's interesting. Just as you come over a hill, you you are able to see it off in the distance. So. Um, people drive by, they, they definitely uh, know it's there. Um, so I think it's a, it's a stately building, but, but as I say, definitely a building that, that needs attention. Um, but I think we're definitely over the hump in the sense that 
we've gotten past the stage where it's it's run down. I, I we, we, people would come here and they would not say this is a rundown building. They would say this is this is a nice building. There are there are some improvements that need to be made, but uh, overall it's it's quite a nice building. Very good. And and forming forming new priests, which is uh, which is actually one of the topics of of one of our questions uh, this week, which is uh, which is about vocations and and. Growing up and, and going through adolescence and young adulthood, it was always told to me, uh, listen, you know, listen for listen for the Holy Ghost to tell you, and 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 uh, pay attention to what your vocation is going to be, and really be open, whether it's a priestly vocation or married or single in the world or, or brothers, you know, monastic, whatever. Um, one of our one of our listeners this week asked, what happens if you chose the wrong one? What if you you know went against? Um, the the spirit of, of your vocation and and decided no this is what I want um, and say got married instead of going to the seminary or got married instead of going to the convent um, what I mean is there anything to do that probably not at this point but what kind of advice would you give to this person well I'd first like to point out that the question itself emphasizes how important it is for us to discern our vocation. Um, I think the world in general today does not encourage proper reflection, proper prudential discernment in making decisions in life. And as Catholics, we know that figuring out our vocation in life is, is really the most important discernment that, that we are to make because it's so closely tied to our happiness and God's will for us, God's plan for us. We know that God does have a plan. He, there's something he wants us to do with our life, a plan that he's had from all eternity. So it's really, really important that we take the question seriously and we take the proper steps to, to make a prudential discernment. Sure. So, um, I, you know, the nation retreats that we have actually have built into them a method for for making that discernment. Um, St. Ignatius has the person try to develop as much indifference as possible. And, and by that, he means, he doesn't mean that people don't care about the decision. He just means that they're not prejudiced one way or another. So he tries to get them in a spiritual state where they're not prejudiced towards one path or another. And they're able to then objectively evaluate all the reasons pro and contra uh, for a certain vocation and see that way, as, as far as they're able, what God might want them to do. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to do that kind of discernment. It's good to, to speak to um, our parents. It's good to speak to people who know us. It's good to, to consult with priests and religious and um, see what, what they think and, and weigh things. And of course, um, trying a vocation is is not is not really a, a risk. Um, one, once you're married, that that's it. <laughs> so you can't you can't go back. Right. Um, but uh, discerning a vocation is is much more of a no risk process in the sense that you get a clear answer, um, and you know for sure whether or not you have a vocation because you have done you've definitely done that prudential discernment at the seminary with, with the help of, of the spiritual director, with the help of the, of the seminary professors, for instance. I think the same is true for an, uh, a young woman going into a sister's novitiate. Um, there's a careful process of discernment to, to see what God wants. Very interesting. Now, I, this is maybe more anecdotal, and, and I believe one of, I think one of my teachers might have told me this at one point, but I wanted to run it by you. It, it, choosing the wrong location, or let's say that you know you are being called to become a priest and you're a young man and you say, well, I just don't want that. I would rather, you know, live in the world and get married. 
and you choose that vocation, not knowing full well, but kind of blinding yourself, willful ignorance, I guess you could say, and you go ahead and you get married and you now, like you said, you've taken those vows, it doesn't mean that you can't attain heaven. It doesn't mean that, that oh, well, now, now you're in trouble. It means that maybe you have a rougher time of it. Uh, it may be more difficult because you didn't follow God's plan or, or God's path that, that he had called for you, but it, it certainly doesn't mean that you know your life is over, your eternal salvation is gone or anything like that. Absolutely not. You know, and in that process of discernment that St. Ignatius provides to retreatants, he, he mentions, he says, okay, let's look at, at the decisions you've made and, and consider whether you've made the decisions well. In other words, you've done that process of prudential discernment. You've tried to figure out as far as reason goes, you try to use your reason um, to see before God what is the best decision. If you haven't done that, then he says during the retreat, then is the time to, to do that. And um, if you made the decision well, then keep going. Um, mm-hmm. If you did not make the, the decision well, um, if, you, if you feel like you did not do the sermon, yet it's, it's turned out okay, then, then fine, don't, don't worry about it. So I, I think the, the person who asked the question there said, I'm happily married. You know, um, so I would say to that person, don't, don't second guess yourself. You know, I mean, yeah. perhaps you didn't do that prudential discernment, but you got lucky and, and it's, uh, you know, m- most people are, are meant to be married and, and it's working out fine. So, so don't um, have any qualms or, or, or think that um, he needs to go back and make that discernment again. I think that's really a temptation of, of the devil. Just be happy with the state you're in. Sure. But there's also that aspect where St. Ignatius says, um, look, if you if you are able to see that you that you made the wrong decision, then uh, and, and it's a decision wherein you really can't change it, um, such as your your vocation. Um, well, then what you must do is simply sanctify yourself in the state of life and, and what you're in. And the thing is, just as you were saying, um, God does not. Uh, hold a grudge. He's not. If you if you made the wrong decision and you didn't really try to figure out what he wanted for you, um, that doesn't mean that God's going to abandon you. Not at all. And it doesn't mean that you're automatically damned. <laughs> that would be completely right. ridiculous because God doesn't say, "Okay, I'm going to write you off now because you didn't try to discern my will." Uh, on the contrary, He's going to give you all the graces that you need to sanctify yourself in your state of life. Um, you know, we, we have that saying, God writes straight with crooked lines. So with right. all the bad choices that we make in life, um, God's going to work with those bad choices and try to help us bring good out of those bad choices. So um, that can be true as well if, if we find out that uh, the person that, that we're married to is, is not the ideal person or there's, there's conflicts in the marriage or what have you. We, we just sort of jumped into marriage. There was love at first sight and we didn't really reflect um, in that situation as well, God is going to give to the couple the graces necessary to persevere in their marriage and, and draw fruit from it. Definitely, definitely comforting, even if uh, even if you are positive that you made the right call. So thank you for that, Father. Yeah, um, and it, may, it makes it a little bit difficult, uh, more difficult, obviously, if um, if you're you, you didn't make that proper discernment or you jumped into a choice that could have been made better. Um, but God gives the grace to everyone to, to persevere. And let's just say that if 
you um, get into the, uh, 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 what we might call a less difficult vocation, like marriage is not as difficult as a religious vocation or the priestly vocation because it provides more human consolations. Uh, so that's, that's why our, our Lord, when, when he's speaking about a priestly vocation um, or the religious life, and he, and he says um, that he recommends the practice of celibacy. Yet at the same time, he says that not everybody can do it. He says, you know, he who can take it, let him take it. Sure. Um, so those who those who can do it are going to be limited. Um, so if you're you're in a priestly vocation and and it's it's more difficult than than that, that's that's graver than and if you're in a marriage vocation and, and finding it difficult. Um, it's it's easier to make do. Um, with a, a marriage that's difficult than, than to make do with with uh, living in a, a religious life when, when it's difficult. Before I agree with you on that, I'll have to check with my wife, Father. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, th- yeah. Thanks for the answer for that one. Um, moving along to another question re- regarding priests, um, you know, and, and the need for vocations, especially within the SSPX. Uh, one of our readers asked if no SSPX priests are available. Uh, and someone is close to dying, go to uh, any priest available, Novus Ordo, wherever, and receive the sacrament of confession. Is that correct? Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, um, generally speaking, if someone is is dying, um, the the church allows for for someone to receive sacraments from anybody who who can administer the sacraments validly. I mean, even a schismatic priest, a, a Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox priest, um, the church allows to the person to to ask the sacraments from from such a priest. Only in that context of being on on one's deathbed. I mean, if no other priest is available. Sure. Um, so a fortiori, all the all the more, um, if you've got a, a Catholic priest, he happens to be a Novus Ordo priest. But you need the sacraments. It's it's certainly okay to ask for the sacraments from from such a priest. I mean, we have no reason to believe that that um, the Novus Ordo Confession would would be invalid. Right. Absolutely. Now, and and there was a second part to the question. I mean, there was there was confession part, but then there's also extremunction, which is a separate sacrament. Sometimes extremunction, you have a little bit more time. Someone is that you know with within a span of a week or, or a few days that someone is within the danger of death. Not always, but sometimes uh, that should always be sought out from a, from one of our traditional priests uh, as as a comparison, though. Yes, well, um, the sacrament of extremunction is a little bit more difficult because of the fact of the matter of the sacrament that is, is a bit problematic. So after the council, uh, Paul VI uh, authorized the use of non-olive oil for the um, use for the administration of the sacrament of extremunction. So he gave permission for um, vegetable oils like canola oil, for instance, to be to be consecrated and used for the sacrament of extremunction. He also gave permission for priests rather than bishops to consecrate the holy oils. I mean, you might know that. Um, traditionally, it is the bishop on Holy Thursday at the Christmas Mass who makes the holy oils, all the holy oils that are to be used for the year. Uh, the three types of holy oils, the sacred chrism, the oil of catechumens, and the oil of the sick. So it's this oil of the sick that Paul VI granted permission for priests 
to, to consecrate it, and he granted permission for uh, non-olive oil to be used. And, and that for us is serious in the sense that olive oil has always been used. I mean, consider if, if the, the Pope suddenly said that, you know, you didn't have to use um, wheat bread for, for the Eucharist. You could, you could use rye bread or you could use sure. barley bread or what have you. Um, and, and wheat bread had always been used, and it seemed to have been established by our Lord then we would have a serious doubt about the validity of the sacrament. So it's the same, something similar is going on with confirmation and extremunction in the sense that olive oil has always been used for the sacraments, even going into the Old Testament when right. they had sacramentals, it was olive oil that they had to use. So if uh, the priest is, is known to, to not be using um, olive oil, then, then we would we would question the validity of the sacrament. But generally speaking, someone who's on the deathbed, they're not going to know what kind of oil the priest is using. And if unless the person just knows that the, the sacrament is going to be invalid, he should receive the sacrament um, be, because he, he needs the, the sacrament on his, on his deathbed. Sure. So we have to have respect for the sacraments. Um, if we know the sacrament is, is going to be invalid, we should not receive the sacrament. It's just a charade, you know, it's just an illusion. The sacrament's not really being administrated. Um, so it's, it's not proper respect for the sacrament. But if we, if we don't know that the sacrament's invalid, um, it's okay to receive it in those extreme circumstances. Certainly no problem, even if we were not for sure what oil is being used. And throughout the 40 years, you know, 40 years plus that the society has been around, there's obviously been a lot of, a lot of concerns, a lot of um, questions about the validity of the sacraments that have happened under the watch of, you know, Paul VI and his, and his successors. But at the end of the day, especially confession, I mean, what the matter and the form that is needed is, is, is the words of the absolution and, and the intention of the priest. And if, I <laughs> mean, if you're in a car accident on the side of the road or you're having a heart attack, I mean, don't wait two and a half hours for your SSPX priest to come by. Get to confession. Save your soul. <laughs> get it. Get that done. Uh, then then we'll work out the details. Yeah, absolutely. Later. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're in that in that kind of situation, you got to be willing to admit for some exceptions and, and uh, as you say, do whatever you can to get the, the sacrament. Uh, um, it's the wisdom of the church that the salvation of souls is the supreme law. Right. So in, in, those, in those situations, as I say, the church is willing to bend so far as to allow a systematic priest to administer sacraments to a Catholic. Well, in, in the same vein, uh, these questions are all kind of tying together today in the same vein of you know, speaking about the changes that have happened in Vatican II and in the years since, one of our readers said, in the fight for tradition, we often focus on the negative things that have happened in the church. And granted, there's there's a lot of it. But he asked, what are some positive changes or innovations, you could say, that have come in the post-Vatican II era in the past 50 years? Yeah, but, you know, I, I like the... the um sort of spirit of, of the question. It's it's very true. I, I think perhaps the questioner is coming into contact with a certain type of, of traditional Catholic that we're all too familiar with, uh, those people who kind of the Eeyores of, of traditional Catholicism, <laughs> um, <laughs> those people who, who cannot seem to find good in, in anything. They're just determined yeah. to, to find uh, badness everywhere. It's, it's all going to rack and ruin. Um, and they're just waiting for the chastisement to happen. That's really their only hope. Um, sometimes I, I think 
that uh, these people want to have a, a chastisement crusade uh, in, in order to to bring about uh, the end of the world. That's what really what they're looking for. <laughs> right, right. But um, it's it's important that we that we not develop that that kind of spirit where we can't see anything positive anymore. Um, sometimes I've, I've I've compared it to I, I'm I'm sure. A lot of our listeners are familiar with the Lord of the Rings, but um, you've got that that figure uh, Denethor, who's often Minas Tirith, and um, you know the 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 orcs and so on are are besieging his his place, his his uh, castle, and everything, um, and he's just not willing to fight them at all. He's totally despairing. But the reason why he's despairing is because he's looked into this sort of Tolkienian crystal the ball, the, the, the palantir. Um, and when he looks into it, what he doesn't realize is that, uh, the, the, that burning eye, Saruman, or, uh, sorry, Sauron, is uh, determining what he sees in that palantir. So Sauron is always showing him bad stuff. I mean, it's, it's, everything's, you're, you're going to lose. Uh, the, all the good forces are, are going to get crushed. Um, the evil forces are going to take over. And, and Denethor believes it all. Um, and so he he has absolutely no hope. He he despairs. And sometimes what we can do is is we can get on the internet and all we can do is, is just read the bad news. There's plenty of bad news, and we get so immersed with looking at the bad news uh, that we feel like the situation in the world is utterly hopeless. And then we we do nothing, just like Denethor did nothing to uh, assist uh, Gandalf and the and the other um, good good guys to to fight against the, the, the bad forces so too we can we can sort of give up on fighting evil in our world and that's that's really we're giving into the devil I mean we're just the, the devil is is convincing us that he's won when of course he hasn't won and he can't win because it's God who's in charge of reality and no one can defeat God Right, and and desolation is is something that that comes to our lives. Uh, it's it's a reality of our lives. We have like we were talking about the retreats earlier, the Ignatian retreats. It, it talks quite a bit about you know periods of desolation, periods of consolation. We we are given both too much of it, too too much desolation, and always you know, writhing in it, being in it all the time. That's hugely troublesome for for any soul. Absolutely, and and I tell souls sometimes, I'm like, look, be very careful about how much evil. You expose yourself to because you are a limited human being and you can only handle so much evil. Um, if, if you want to see someone who, who can handle all the evil, then you look at our Lord at the agony of the garden. He's bearing the weight of all the sins of the world on his shoulders. But you're not our Lord. You're, you don't have that kind of strength to, to bear all those evils. So if you're continually feeding yourselves with bad news and with these these gloomy thoughts, you're in a sense thinking that, that you can handle it all when, when you can't. Um, and, and I think especially people need to get off of their devices at those times and just interact with the human beings around them, uh, you know, play a board game, get out, play some sports or what have you. Um, and that, that can restore some balance in a person's life and, and help them see that, no, I mean, uh, God is still good. The world, the world around us, there's still many good things to see. Absolutely. Earlier this summer, I was able to take a week off on, and go on vacation and, and totally unplug and get away from get away from news, get away from emails, and and you know what, Father, the world didn't end. I was I I got back and and it was all still here. It worked. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs>
<laughs> well, thank you, thank you very much for those answers, Father. That's, uh, as always, very interesting stuff, and uh, we will have some more for you uh, at another time. It's good to hear that work is still ongoing uh, at the seminary and things are still progressing. Now, do you, do you put the seminarians to work, or do you, do you have a staff that can help out with some of these things? Um, we, we do put the seminarians to work, definitely. Um, okay. they, they have Manwalia periods, what are called Manwalia periods. It's just manual labor, and they help uh, keep the house clean. They, they, they help with the setting the tables and, and uh, waiting the tables. And so they, they definitely do a lot of work. And one of the things that is kind of particular to Holy Cross is uh, the splitting of wood, the chopping of wood, and, and the stoking of, of the boilers. Um, so it's, we're, we're still we're sort of wrapping up winter here, right. but um, there's a lot of work that's done to, to keep uh, wood in the stoves and, and keep parts of the building heated. Very good. Well, I, I wish you much success in, in splitting wood, and, and uh, we will talk again very soon. Okay, Andrew, thanks for having me on. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate the podcast so that more people can hear the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. For more news, resources, and updates, you can visit the U.S. District website at sspx.org or the English news website of the Society at fsspx.news.